0: Um, we've been, uh, the Lewis family has been quarantined for the past two weeks, and while it's been uh, just a wonderful time together as a family, I'm very thankful to be back in worship. Um, something happens when you're not in worship, and I don't like it. Uh, it just feels like something's missing. It feels like your soul feels uh, un- unwashed by the word and just unwashed by fellowship. And um, I grieve for people in, in other states that other brothers and sisters that can't gather together. Uh, that, that is soul crushing. And um, God made his people to be in community together, and we grieve those that are unable to be in that community. And so let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who cannot worship, um, and let's continue even here to reach out to them as much as we can. Um, Well, we start an uh, Advent series Uh, over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at uh, a pretty famous text. It's found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. In fact, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. um, I think many of you have heard of the Jesse tree. Um, Notice our Jesse tree over here to my left, your right. Um, We have many to thank for that uh, construction and the artwork that's on it. But it's to be a representation of this text in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. And the whole concept of of the Jesse tree comes from this imagery in this text of a shoot uh, from the stump of Jesse. And uh, this this entire text we're going to spend some time with over the next four, four weeks. And I'd like to look at Um, Of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who we often say is the reason for this season. And we're going to look at four sermons. The first one is called, The Savior That Brings Hope to the World. That's what we're going to look at today, The Savior That Brings Hope to the World. Next week, we're going to look at The Savior That Brings Wisdom to the World. That's verse number two. And then The Savior That Brings Justice to the World, verse three through five. And then the Savior that brings restoration to the world, verse 6 on down to verse number 16. Now, all of these are interlocking, and as we go through, you're going to see that. I'm going to borrow themes from all through this passage. But we're just going to come in, um, in this passage for the next four, uh, four weeks, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, we've also created the, uh, the devotional, and so hopefully you've gotten one of those And as Brad mentioned, that's meant for every family to go through. There's something in there once a day written by the people in our fellowship. So with that said, Isaiah chapter 11, as we look at the first theme from this passage, the Savior that brings hope to the world, a Savior that brings hope to the world. We're going to read verse 1 through 5, and then we're going to launch in here. Hear now the word of the Lord. Or decide disputes by what his heirs hear. But the righteousness, both with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever, and this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here today as your people and worship you indeed, in spirit and in truth. Father, again, be with us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us as we feast off your word this morning that our hearts might be stirred. And as we look to you for ultimately our hope, may that be real to us. And may we carry that to a world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, Isaiah 11 begins with a prophecy. And really, there's three prophecies um, to which this is the last of them. So if you begin at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14... You get a prophecy about a Savior. And then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, you get another prophecy. And then, of course, in Isaiah chapter 11, you're confronted with another prophecy, all talking about the same person, Jesus Christ, and who he is. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you think of prophecy, I know for me, you know, as a child of the 90s, I grew up with the left-behind series. And so every time I think about prophecy, I think of being left behind. In fact, I remember one day I got up. This is a true story, by the way. I don't tell anything but true stories, right? Um, I know sometimes they seem fantastic, but, but these are verifiable. I got up, one, uh, got up one day from a nap. And, you know, that was the time when the Left Behind series was raging, you know? And so I got up, and I didn't see anyone. And so I said, oh, that's not that unusual. So I go outside, and I look around, and I don't see anybody. And this time, I'm starting to panic. I'm like, where is everybody? You know, I live in a pretty densely populated area. And so I ran out front um, to the road, and I looked up and down the road, and I didn't see anybody. And by this time, I began to panic where is everybody? And I started running down the streets, yelling and screaming, and still I don't see anybody. And finally, I saw someone, and I said, oh, no. Everyone's been taken, and I've been left behind, you know, because I saw a friend. And he's uh, not the kind of guy who I would associate to be a Christian and so I started panicking even more and I and I started just yelling and screaming for somebody and finally I saw my mother, she was by a friend's house, and I just ran to her and gave her a big hug and started crying. She said, What are you what are you doing? And I said, I thought I was left behind, right? That's the imagery of be of a prophecy that you and I know. But you know, biblically, that's not the imagery of prophecy. Every prophecy that we see in the Bible actually contains one of three elements that are up front. The first is this. Every time we see a prophecy, we are reminded to be watchful. If you go to Matthew chapter 25, uh, when Jesus is talking about um, his return, he likens the kingdom of heaven to the, the virgins. And he says at the end of that that the virgins who were watchful, When the bridegroom came, that they were the ones that went. And the ones that were not watchful were the ones that were left behind. And so one of the purposes of prophecy is for us to be watchful, to be mindful. The second purpose of prophecy is to bring us comfort. In fact, that's Paul's point in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 18 as he's talking about the day of the Lord. He says, look, all of you comfort one another with these words that Christ will come again. But the third reason for prophecy when we hear prophecy is that prophecy is supposed to be a source of hope. It's supposed to be a source of hope to us as God's people. And that's what we see in this passage in Isaiah chapter 11 verse number 1. We're confronted with a prophecy that is designed to give the people of God hope. And by the way, what is hope? Well, biblically speaking, hope is what happens when you combine desire and expectation. That's what hope is, when you combine deep desire with expectation. You know, um, the longer we stay in this season of lockdown the more and more I find myself just longing to return to normal. Does anybody even remember what normal looked like? I'm struggling to remember what normal looks like. But my heart is anticipating it. You know, I see that we have a vaccine coming down the pike soon. And I look and I say, God, I I hope that this is some sign of you doing something because my heart is desiring to return to normal. And that's all of our hearts. All of our hearts have this desire coupled with expectation. That is hope. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to look at verse number one and portions of this other passage. And I want us to see two aspects of our hope. First of all, that our hope is near. And secondly, um, sorry, there's a hope that's near. And secondly, there's a hope that's beyond this world. There's a hope that's near, and then there's a hope that's beyond this world. First of all, there's a hope that's near. Look at verse number one again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. Now, you're looking at that, and you're wondering to yourself, what does a shoot, a stump, a branch, and a root have to do with hope? How are those symbols of hope? Well, if you want to know how those things are symbols of hope, you really have to go back to chapter number 10. And in chapter number 10 of the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah giving a prophecy of the complete and utter destruction of Israel. But not only Israel, all of Israel's um, enemies. Now, picture this. Imagine a forest where all the trees have been completely cut down. I remember two years ago when we lived in Pensacola, a storm came through, a violent hurricane, in fact, came through. And they showed pictures of a forested area that was completely decimated. All the trees had just been blown down. And it looked as if somebody came with uh, saws and just sawed down all the trees. It was a complete wasteland. And that's the imagery that Isaiah gave the people of God in chapter 10. Because of your sin, because of your wickedness, God's going to cut down all of you. And all that's going to be left is complete isolation, complete leveling. And the Bible says that this imagery was so jarring that the people of God began to panic. Because they imagined a forested area completely cut down. And that was supposed to be a symbol of God's judgment on them. It was a scene of utter despair and of utter hopelessness. But then you come to chapter number 11. And you see God saying that in the midst of all of this devastation, with the forestry all cut down, there's going to be a branch that's going to pop up from one of those stumps. And some of you might have seen this, but it's, it's one of the most beautiful things you can see. Whenever you have a stump and there, a branch or a little a flower starts growing out of it, 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 it's small, but it looks so beautiful. And God is saying within that branch, within, sorry, within that stump, this beautiful little branch, this beautiful little twig is going to grow up. And that's going to be a sign that his hope God's hope is near to God's people. I remember this reality was powerfully illustrated in the lives of a couple Theresa and I knew. Um, They were a newly married couple, and uh, one day they were at work, and they got a call. And the call that they got was that their apartment was on fire, completely burning down. And so they immediately got up, and they met each other at the scene. And as they were standing in front of their apartment, they, noted they the whole, their whole apartment building had just at that time burned completely to the ground. And they were telling us this story, and they said immediately they started hugging each other, and they started crying. Because imagine you're a new couple, right? You're, you're, you just got married. All of your wedding gifts are inside your apartment. Her wedding dress is in her apartment. I mean, you know, the the first piece of cake that you save from your wedding, anybody save the first cake and then put it in their freezer? I don't. It was absolutely disgusting when we ate it. I I don't recommend it, but they do it because it's sweet, right? And so so all of that stuff had just been burned to the ground. And then, all of a sudden, they began to panic and fear because they started thinking that we leave something on. Uh, Was this our fault in some way? And as they were standing there crying, completely hopeless that everything they owned had been burned to the ground, wonderful signs of hope started taking place. The first thing was that um, one of the firemen came and said, hey, I just want you all to know that this actually wasn't your fault. There was an electrical fault in, you know, in the fuse box, and, and that's what burned it down. And so it wasn't their fault that their apartment burned down. The second thing that happened was somebody actually called the Red Cross, and the Red Cross came and and offered to put them up for the night and give them uh, money to buy clothes and food and all sorts of stuff. On top of that, they remembered that when they got their car insurance, the guy on the phone offered them insurance for their apartment. And so they had insurance for the household goods in their apartment, and they were able to get money for that. And through this, through this brokenness and this pain and this deep sense of loss, God showed them one by one all of these signs of hope. And listen to me, that didn't negate the fact that they suffered real loss. No, of course they didn't. They felt that pain. But what also happened was that there was a clear sign of God's mercy and grace being poured out on them. And, beloved, that's us in the here and now. That as God's people, even as we see, even as we are in the midst of brokenness and pain, God gives us consistent signs of his glory and his majesty. God gives us consistent signs of hope. Now, as a Christian, we hear things like this and you say, Pastor Hans, of course, this is who he is. He's good to us in this way. And you'd be absolutely right. But please know that this isn't the case for those in the world. That this sign of hope isn't extended to those who are not a part of the people of God. As one commentator profoundly noted, when Assyria was finally cut down in 609 BC by the combined forces of Babylon, Media, Media, and Persia, nothing ever arose from that stump again. That's why we don't have a group of people known as the Philistines, the Amalekites, and the um, Edomites. Because those people were not promised hope. Only the people of God. And beloved, we live in a world today where non-Christians, for them, there is no shoot coming out of a stump. There's only hopelessness. There's no sign of hope for them. You know, I read an article recently that completely broke my heart. It said, for the first time in the history of the United States, it is projected that children... Will not live longer than their parents. And the reason for this is because of drug use, deaths from drug use, suicides, and depression. In fact, um, I recently read an article that in Japan, more people have died from suicide than the coronavirus. 17,000 people have died from suicides in Japan and only 2,000 from the coronavirus. Look, hopelessness in our world has real-world consequences. It manifests itself in terms of drug use, it manifests itself in the form of suicides, and it manifests itself in the form of depression. And those things are directly attributable to hopelessness. You say, Pastor Dennis, how do you know this? Well, read Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred make the heart sick. There are so many sick hearts in our world today because so many people don't have hope. Now, there are people that you find that are hopeful, but because their hope is not grounded in Christ, ultimately, it will be hopeless. Beloved, I came across, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and I, I don't know why it took me this long for this truth to settle down, but they were just telling me about different things that are going on in their life. And I remember just saying to them, do you know as a Christian, there is nothing in this world that can make us more happy and more satisfied than we should be right now? Think about that for a moment. You know, so many of us become depressed and downtrodden because we feel like there's something in this world that we're lacking. More money, more status, a better job. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Why do we, as God's people, get depressed? Well, it's because there's something that we want that we feel like we're lacking. But the Bible clearly tells us that we have everything that we need. We have this sign of hope, and it's rested on Christ. Now, don't think for a moment that God's people can't fall into the trap of trusting something other than Christ. Israel certainly did. You know, one of the things about the Bible that you see is that even though Israel were the people of God, their hope rested in an earthly king. Think back with me in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when Israel demanded a king even though they were living in a theocracy. Or think back with me even at the beginning of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when the Bible said that the day day that King Uzziah died, um, Isaiah finally saw the Lord. Why? He was a prophet. He was a believer. He prophesied about the things of God, and yet his hope was in the earthly King Uzziah. And God finally had to remove King Uzziah because that belief, that trust that Isaiah had in King Uzziah was preventing him from seeing the Lord. So what do we, what do we think about this? What, what should we glean from this? Well, God is telling his people, us, That a shoot will come from a king. And his name is King Jesus. Even in this passage, notice with me in verse number one again. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Have you ever thought to yourself, why did he say stump of Jesse and not stump of David? Why did he emphasize Jesse? Well, he emphasized Jesse because Israel was prone to put their trust in kings. And he's telling them that the kingship is ultimately a failure, and it was. Israel's kingship was ultimately a failure were it not for Christ. That no earthly king, no earthly situation, no other hope, whether it's a vaccine, economic stimulus, or new administration, can ever supplant the hope that you and I have from Christ. That's what's being said here in this passage in verse number one. That the shoot and the stump and the branch and the root, all of that is, re- is a reminder to God's people that our ultimate hope is in Christ. And the ultimate hope for this world is Christ. And that there are real world consequences for the hopelessness that, is being, uh, that we see in the world. Notice the second thing. There's a hope that's beyond this world. First of all, the hope that is near, the hope that is near is Christ. He is near, but there's also a hope that's beyond this world. Now, people in Isaiah's day never got to experience the hope that's mentioned in this text. In fact, look at verse number 10 through verse number 12. It said, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. In other words, a signal means a banner of righteousness. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend the hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the area. He will raise a signal for the nations and will be and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now Israel at that time would not have experienced that. That was a hope that was far off for them. So you might be asking yourself the question, if it is a hope that's far off from them, how can they hope in that? If if a hope is that far off where they can't experience that or they were never going to experience that within the person of Christ, how is this a legitimate hope? Isn't this a false hope? No, it's not. Here's the thing. Israel did experience this reality and this experience they experienced this reality spiritually, not physically. And here's how they experienced this reality spiritually. Go to uh, flip forward to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 and read through, not now, because it's pretty long, but if you flip forward and you go to Matthew 1 and Luke 3, you'll notice genealogies, would you not? And as you read through those genealogies, what do you see? Well, there are times when I read through those genealogies and I see liars and thieves and prostitutes and covenant breakers and murderers. The genealogy of Christ reads more like a list of criminals and less like a, a list of those written in the book of life. And as God's people meticulously kept those, the records of those genealogies, that was to them supposed to be a sign of God's faithfulness to them. That the promise that was given to Abraham, even though they had sinned, even though they had uh, gone aside from the Lord, that that promise was still being kept because God was still keeping the people together. Beloved, look at your own life. Think about your lineage. Now, some of you have godly parents and a godly lineage. But if you go back far enough, you'll find some murderers and some thieves. You'll find some drunkards. You'll find some drug addicts. Of course, all of our stories, as they mix and mingle, are filled with brokenness and pain. And yet, we see God's goodness in preserving a line. We see God's goodness in Christ. You know, for me, I don't know my family history. I don't know. I never met my grandparents. Um... I only really knew my mother because my father had died. And what I knew uh, about my mother and what she told me, her family was littered with brokenness and pain and suffering. And there's some of us in this room that are like that. But one of the things that I take pleasure in and glory in is that despite the fact that my family history is littered with brokenness and pain, I know that at the end of that family history, there's Christ. And the redemption of Christ and his sacrifice and what he did offers me profound hope. And that's the hope that this world desperately needs. Now, if you uh, look forward, there's a reality of this spiritual hope that we see fulfilled Even in the New Testament and now, Paul says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 12. He tells us that the hope of all humanity is Christ, the root of Jesse. He is our hope of salvation. He is the one that has come. All of us inside here today are beneficiaries of the shoot from the stump of Jesse spiritually. Because we've been redeemed. And because we've been redeemed, we become the hope of the world. But there's a reality of this hope that is beyond this world. Notice with me at the end of verse number 1. He says that a branch and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. How is Christ bearing fruit? Well, he will bear the ultimate fruit in the new heavens and the new earth. If you go to Revelations chapter 5, Christ is pictured as the root opening the scroll, bearing the fruit of all those who, have, who by faith have require, or have obtained eternal life. And then you and I will be ushered into the imagery given in verse 6 through 9. The wolf of chapter 11 here in Isaiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play... Over the whole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Beloved, that is what lies before us. That is the hope that's pictured in Revelation chapter 5 as they talk about this root. It's completely out of this world. And yet you and I uh, live in hope of that. And I don't know about you, but I'm super excited one day to be in glory with you all. It reminds me of a scene um, that's played out over and over. Many of you have seen this scene of uh, soldiers returning home. And you know, um, one of the things that that always amazes me. And and if you want to see Pastor Dennis cry, show me one of those. Right? I, I don't see how your eyes cannot be wet watching those videos. But the thing that gets me is that. Every time they, ha- they, they do it, right, the person that they're surprising is just going about their business, right? They might be eating a meal, or they might be going playing a game, or they might be at work. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the soldier shows up. And they're just completely blown away and they start crying and they're so happy and they grab the soldier and they're just crying and weeping. Why? Because the the hope that they have to see their relative again has finally been realized. And they are overjoyed at that reality. And beloved, hear me today, we ought to be in the same posture. As we live our life in hope of seeing Christ again, we go about our daily duties. We don't stop being the people of God. We still worship. We still love one another. We still serve one another. But yet there's this inward hope to see Christ again. And as this this inward hope builds and builds and builds, I promise you one day your hope will be realized that you will see Christ again. And you will glory at his presence. But even in the here and now, we as God's people are called to live out this hope here, tomorrow, in front of all the world, so that they might see and have that hope as well. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Father, we have the message of hope. Christ is our hope, He is the shoot that rises up from brokenness. And we see this brokenness in our world. Everywhere we go, we see this brokenness in our family. We see this brokenness in our communities. We see this brokenness in the world. Help us as your people to live in hope and spread that hope to others so, Father, they might know what it means to live with this eager expectation to see Christ and to live in light of that. Bless us now as God's people, in Jesus' name, amen.